as we continue our series of messages that address the question, what does the future hold, um, we come to an event that, though clearly taught in the Bible, for some reason is often misunderstood by Christians. In fact, many have never heard a message or a sermon on this particular subject, and yet it's an event that every individual believer has to look forward to at one day, and that future event is simply this that every person who has put their faith and trust in Christ will appear one day before the judgment seat of Christ. Before we deal with this particular subject or topic, it's imperative that we understand with, with reference to sin, the scriptures teach that the child of God, the believer, the Christian, under grace shall not come into judgment. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, open it to uh, John chapter 3 for a second. John 3.16 is a verse that many of us are familiar with, but the context is particularly relevant when it comes to this uh, topic that we're going to be discussing. But in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, I want you to notice something that is very clear. We all know John 3.16, or many of us do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It goes on to say this, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The purpose of God sending Christ into the world was not to condemn or to judge this world, but that we would be saved through him. For whoever would believe in him would not perish or be under the condemnation of sin, but would be saved or spared from the judgment of God that would be a result of that. He goes on to say this, but he who believes in him is not judged. He who puts their faith and trust in Christ believes what God says, believes that God loved this world so much that he sent Jesus Christ into the world so that he would die in our place, the perfect substitute for our sins. He said, if you believe in him, you will not be condemned. He goes on and says, but he who does not believe has been judged or condemned already. He says, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there it is, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For, who, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So the, the, the Bible is very clear that for those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we will never be judged or condemned by God. That's why Romans 8.1 says, For there is now no, there is now at this time, after Christ's death, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. And so the Bible clearly distinguishes between those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ, those who believed in Christ and those who do not. Those who believe are spared the condemnation or the judgment of God. Those who don't believe in Jesus Christ are judged already and they are condemned before God. And that's as clear and as, as simple as it gets in understanding this. So as we look at this, as those who believed in Christ were not only beyond condemnation, but being in Christ, we are accepted in the perfection of Christ, and also we're loved of God as Jesus himself is loved. And that's important that we understand that, because with reference to his daily life and, and service for God, the Christian must one day give an account for his life before the judgment seat of Christ. In simple terms, every believer will one day in the future be evaluated by Jesus Christ for how he or she lived his or her life 
uh, and the purpose of all this is to reward those who have followed him and walked in a manner that was pleasing to God. We will all be judged by God. We learn that those who do not believe in Christ will be judged according to the great white throne judgment. They will be condemned by Christ for rejecting him. And then they will be sentenced for an eternity in a place that was called the lake of fire, what we call hell. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that is the price that they will pay for their rejection of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on their behalf. Now for those of us who have believed in Christ and trusted in him, the Bible says it is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Not only for those who have rejected him will be judged, but a completely different judgment takes place for God's people. And that is that we will give an account one day for how we live this life after we came to know Christ as our Savior. And what's amazing to me, and I think you have to listen very carefully, because if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, and the definition is simple, one who is in Christ, one who has believed that Jesus Christ died for their sins and put their total faith and trust in him and in him alone, the Bible says that then we become a Christian. It doesn't matter what other definition that you think that there is, if you go to church, if you live in America, if you believe in God, all these nebulous definitions, the only definition that matters is what God says a Christian is, and it's one who has totally put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone for the forgiveness of their sins. If you have done that, then the Bible says it does make a difference how you live your life. It does matter. I cannot believe how many times I hear people in either ignorance or in some way trying to validate their lifestyle or their behavior that says, but it's by grace that we're saved through faith and it's not of ourselves. It's God's gift to us so none of us can brag. So it really doesn't make any difference how I live my life because it's not by works that I'm saved and it's not by how I live my life that I'm made right before God. It's because Jesus died for me and I believe that. So it doesn't make any difference now how I live my life. How foolish is that? How ignorant is that? Because that is certainly what, what the Bible teaches. In fact, turn with me to 1 John, the first letter that he writes toward the back of the book. 1 John chapter 3. In addition to this, on your own, read Romans chapter 6 sometimes as you're, as you're looking forward to 1 John chapter 3. You know, the Bible says, shall we continue to sin so that grace may increase? This is Romans 6. And the answer is absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? And he goes on to explain that we could stop putting ourselves in a position to do that which is wrong before God. The question is this. If you love me, Jesus said, then what? You will obey my commandments. Because your lifestyle will be an indicator of whether or not you've really come to know me. What you see is really what you get. In other words, what we do is a reflection of who we really are. And we need to recognize and understand that. In 1 John chapter 3, notice what we read in, starting with verse 4. It says that everyone who practices sin, and it's not practiced from the standpoint of trying to get it right. It has to do with lifestyle. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know, he says this, he says, and you know by experience and also by intellect or knowledge, he's saying that you know that he, speaking of Jesus, he appeared. Why did God send Christ into the world? Why was he manifest in human flesh or made known to us in human flesh? He appeared, and you know it and I know it because God tells us why. He says he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The whole purpose or mission of Jesus Christ was to seek and to save that which was lost. He ran straight from the cradle in Bethlehem, straight to the cross in Jerusalem, and his whole mission and his whole purpose was to come to give his life as a ransom for many. 
That was his mission. That was his purpose. That's why he was made known to us. That's how he appeared in the flesh, to take away sin. The word take away almost pictures that of, if you watch the space shuttle and, and, and uh, satellites that are launched and things like that, the word has to do with taking off or lift off. Jesus came and he, and he took his place on the cross that when he did that, all sin, past, present, and future, was taken away and removed for all of eternity for those of us who put our faith and trust in him. That's a wonderful truth. No one who abides in him sins. And the word sins is on a, on a practical basis, on an everyday sense. No one who is in Christ continues to live in sin. That doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we won't fall short at times. It doesn't mean we won't make wrong decisions in our life. That's true. And that's why if we confess that sin, that he is faithful and just to take it away from us and cleanse us from all of it. It is not saying that you and I will ever be perfect. But in Christ, in God's sight, we are perfect if we believe in Jesus Christ. Now, when we fall short and we sin before God, that's an exception to the rule. It is not our constant lifestyle. It says, that, and that's why no one who abides in him sins. The sins is on a regular basis, practicing it as a lifestyle. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. You notice what he says? For those who continue to abide in lifestyle that God calls blatantly wrong or sinful, if they continue to do it with no sense of remorse, with no sense of repentance, with no sense of confession of that sin, then the Bible says very plainly and very clearly, then you better examine yourself to see whether you are really a believer according to God's definition, because those who know Christ cannot do so because the Spirit of God is convicting our hearts that what we're doing is wrong before God. But we live in a culture today where, you know what, you can call yourself anything you want, live any way that you want to live, and it's okay because who are we to judge? Hey, God's the judge, and his word judges us. And if his word says that your lifestyle and what you're doing is a sin before God, and you don't repent of it, and you don't confess or agree with him that it is, then God says, you know what, I don't care what you call yourself, but you're not one of my kids. And we need to understand that. We need to recognize that. And it is absolute ignorance or simple disobedience when you run into people who say, you know what, it doesn't really matter how I live my life because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. How stupid are we? Don't be deceived. What? God's not mocked by our nonsense. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap it sometime. Payday one day. Need to understand it and get it straight. That's what's wonderful about the truth of God's word. It's a lamp under our feet. It's a light under our path. It tells me where I need to go. tells me exactly where I am. tells me where I'm wrong before God. And then also tells me if I need to be right and confess my sin and repent from it. So as we look at this, we begin to understand that, you know what? The whole purpose, little children, let no one deceive you, verse 7. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. The one who practices sin, notice, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Wow. If you live a lifestyle pleasing to God because you've accepted Christ, then you are of God. If you are living a lifestyle that God clearly calls sin in his word, and you continue to do so with no sense of remorse, no sense of repentance, no sense of confession, no sense of what you're doing is wrong, then guess what? You're not of God, but you're of the devil. And there's only two families to be part of. You're either in God's family or you're in, in, in the, the family of the devil. I mean, one or the other, that's it. You're either in or you're out, you're a saint or you ain't. Simple. What amazes me is how difficult this is for many of us to understand this. 
And so many of us struggle with the fact that we're going to have to give an account for what we've done in this lifetime. We just don't grasp the fact that God will judge us and evaluate us for how we've lived this life. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Some of us just don't get it. It reminds me of the, maybe you've heard the story of the two Polish uh, Olympic gold medal winners. Oh, you haven't heard this? Oh, let me share it with you then. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> But these two gold medal winners from Poland were interviewed afterwards and they were asked what they were going to do when they got home with their gold medals. And the one looked at the other and the translator said, well, they said that they're going to take them home and they're going to have them bronzed. Now, <laughs> now the thing is that they just didn't quite get it. I don't want, you know, you act like you pay to get in here sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, man. Okay. The question is this, why should God's plan to evaluate us be so hard for us to comprehend? After all, stop and think about it. Whether we like it or not, our lives are continually being evaluated or reviewed by those around us. If you're a student, you take tests to evaluate your academic progress, hopefully. If you're an athlete, there are tryouts or workouts to measure athletic ability. If you... Um, go to get a medical examination. It's to find out how you're doing, physically speaking. And as uh, you look at this, there's also the inevitable of contemporary industry, and I love this, and that is the annual employee review. How many of you have ever been annually employee reviewed? Oh, look at this, great. Well, then you're gonna love this, you're gonna like this. Here's a guy who was reviewed, and this is his take on his review. He says, I work for a big company. He says, I'm small. I'm much smaller than the company. In fact, my boss told me so himself. He said, hey, the company's much bigger than you. I work out of a cell. The company calls it an office. To me, it's a cell. There's no padlocks on the door except those I see in my mind. I could escape it to where? Another corporation? I said, that's all there is. I'm a company man. I do everything I'm supposed to do, eight hours a day, 12 months out of the year. I get weekends off for good behavior. And I get paid once a week whether I need the money or not. I don't make trouble. I play second base on the company softball team. I attend company picnics and parties, and I laugh when I'm supposed to, and I don't even sexually harass female colleagues because it's against company policy. But this is a bad time of year. It's review time. That means I have to go before my boss and have him evaluate me. This goes on, I'm told, all over the country, people like me get reviewed. That's part of being a company man. He says, I'm tired of getting reviewed. All through school I got reviewed. Before I got married, my wife reviewed me. And you know what? And she still does. Everybody reviews me. I thought when I grew up I could relax and be myself, but there's no such luck. America was once the land of the rugged individualist. Now it's the land of a small corporate man. Would Daniel Boone have stood for having his boss question his appearance, his cooperativeness, his initiative, his creativity, his productivity, his punctuality? No way. There's no way. But that was long ago when Daniel Boone was big. People were big then. Now people are small. Corporations are big. Says the man who occupies the cell next to me is small. The other day he was smaller. He's a good company man. He uses words like interface and input. But the other day he passed by my office in a daze as if he had been smashed by a demolition ball. And I said to myself, that man just got reviewed. And he did. He got a fair on appearance and cooperativeness and average on initiative and productivity. He says, I didn't get one outstanding. He didn't show up today. I think he's home crying. I think he's been destroyed. Two days ago, I got reviewed. My boss came to me and said, hey, let's interface. My boss is small, but I'm smaller. He's a good man, my boss. I'm also a good man. He said, you're a real good man. And he put a check mark next to good, but not outstanding. 
I said, well, I said to myself, so I'm not as an outstanding man, but who is? But I'm punctual. He said, yes, you are punctual. He checked off above average punctuality. But do I comb my hair nicely, wear trim, dark suits, my tie in a corporate knot? I don't know, my boss said, mulling me over. Your hair is kind of long. Your shoes could use a shine. So I got an average for, for uh, appearance. That didn't hurt because back in the days when I was a regular individualist, I used to be downright slovenly. I prided myself in being a slob and in slurring my words like Marlon Brando. My boss said, you know, you slur your words like Marlon Brando. <laughs> he said, so I got a poor for speech. All right, but despite these drawbacks, these flaws of character, I do get along with people. He said, you don't get along with people, do you? And that was a slap in the face. Who don't I get along with, I asked. He said, you're a loner. I said, uh, yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I guess I am. So I got a poor for cooperativeness. I said, you know, it was all downhill from there. I didn't get one outstanding, not for initiative, not for creativity, not for productivity. Funny, I used to think I was creative and productive. I even used to think of myself as cooperative and attractive. All I am, it turns out, is punctual. You know, I didn't show up for work yesterday. I was at home. Should I go on living? My wife says yes. She thinks I'm at least average. She thinks I ought to go back to work and tell him off my boss, but I can't do that, of course, and that's no way to get even. What can I do tomorrow? Well, you know what I can do tomorrow? I can review my secretary. I'm small, but I'm bigger than her. <laughs> oh, man, as traumatic as this experience may be, it pales into powerlessness when compared with the setting that's portrayed by God in the Bible. All believers will stand one day in review or in judgment. Though some of us believe that we'll be spared the experience, God makes it very clear and very plain to understand that every one of us will have a time of personal analysis as the details of our lives are discussed one by one. My take on it is this. If there was ever a review or ever a meeting in which we need to be prepared, it is that one. And I believe, if we believe, that that day is coming in the future that it will impact the decisions that we make today. If you do not believe that you will be evaluated by Jesus Christ, then it will also negatively impact how you live your life today. If you do not believe that the Bible says that we must all give an account for the things that we've done in this flesh, then you know what? It will affect the decisions that you make today. But if you do believe what God has to say, and you believe his word, and you believe what God teaches, that one day you will personally be evaluated or judged by Jesus Christ, then I believe it will change your life beginning the moment that you understand what exactly it is that he teaches. So what we're going to do is we're going to discover what God says that you and I can expect at the judgment seat of Christ. And there are nine things that we're going to take a look at. I don't know if we'll be able to pick up on these or not. Nine things that we're going to take a look at. Number one is this. We will be evaluated by God following our life here on earth. It says, And Jesus said to his host in Luke 14, 12 through 14, it is a certainty, it's not a what if, it's not a maybe, it is a certainty, because notice what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, for if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. He goes, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know what he says? He's saying that, hey, it's not a matter of if, it's not a matter of maybe, it is a certainty. That as Jesus was talking to these people, they had a problem, and the problem was the same problem that many of us have, and that's this. 
that whenever somebody gets up to walk out, we act like we've never seen somebody walk in or out of this building, so we all turn our heads to look. So that's a problem, and we're going to have to deal with that, okay? And, and what we're going to have to do is I want to have somebody walk down the front. Mark, just walk down here for a second. Just walk down. Everybody look at Mark. You notice how he walks. He's got his hand in his pocket, and, uh, and then now he's kind of strutting, and he's kind of being a little more manly about that walk. But as you notice, he's kind of going, oh, all his eyes are on him, and, and he's got the laughs. They're popping out, and he's looking pretty big, and hey, thank you very much. And... Uh, <laughs> All we needed was a little bit of that uh, platform music or walkway music. Mark, thank you very much. Okay, y'all feel better now? All right. I'm telling you, the next time I see somebody watch somebody walk out of here, I'm just going to call you out by name. I, it'll probably be, hey, you, but <laughs> that's as close as it'll get. All right, now let's get back to what we're talking about. Notice what he says. What, what Jesus was trying to get across was this, that we have a problem as people, and the problem is this that we want to invite people to dinner who can reciprocate and invite us back. We want to do things for people that can, in turn, do something for us. But what he was trying to get across is very simple, and that's this. We need to begin to do things for those who cannot do anything in return, and that's why I said, as a contrast, hey, you know what, why don't you invite the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind, those who have a need, why don't you reach out and meet that need, and he says, and you will be blessed. So we're not going to be given rewards for inviting people to dinner because they invited us and now it's our turn to invite them or because we want to do something nice for them because they in turn may do somebody, something nice for us. That has nothing to do with our spiritual life. That just has to do with our reciprocation of our life here on earth. But what he's saying is this. If you understand what God says and you begin to reach out and help those who in no way, shape, or form can ever repay you, then Jesus makes a promise. He says, and you will be blessed. Not only will you be blessed, but notice what he says. And you will be repaid by God himself, what? At the resurrection of the righteous. At the resurrection of the righteous. Wow, he left no doubt about it. He left no doubt about it that we would be evaluated and we would be repaid one day. You know, what also is important to recognize and understand is this. That the philosophy that's taught, that says if you do something good here on earth, then God has to somehow or another repay you here on earth. If you do this, you will get a better job. If you do that, you will earn more money. If you do this and that and the other thing for God or whatever, then you'll be driving a Mercedes and you'll wear a Rolex. I mean, there's a philosophy, this prosperity gospel that says, if you do things here on earth, then God has to repay you here on earth. And you know what? And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. He does say this. That he is a rewarder of those who do what is right before him. But you know what? Many times when we do things here on this earth, we will never hear the applause of anybody on this side of eternity. And we need to get that straight and we need to understand it because too many of us are motivated by getting a response here on earth. And when we don't get it, guess what? We just stop serving God. If it was based on response, I would have quit a long time ago. Not just with you people. Although you're the ones that could have driven me to it. <laughs> but, all, but, but in every area of life, we will not always be recognized for the service that we perform in the name of God here on earth. But God one day will recognize us and he says this, you know what, don't worry about it, I will repay you. I will repay you. The second thing is that we will be evaluated. When will that take place? The Bible is very clear. We'll be evaluated at the second coming of Christ. Notice what the Bible says. It teaches us that for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. 
says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will, give every, I will give to everyone according to what he has done, for I am the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 22, 12 and 13. This will take place at the resurrection of the righteous. If you remember in, in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus was asked the question, uh, when Jesus asked the question of Martha, do you believe that your brother Lazarus will be raised? And she said, yes, Lord, I do believe that he will be raised. He will be raised one day. When? At the resurrection of the righteous. They understood that we will be physically resurrected one day and given a resurrected or an incorruptible body. They understood the concept of resurrection that was taught throughout the scripture. She said to him, I do believe that he will be raised at the resurrection of the righteous. When will that take place? When will we get the rewards that God promises us? When will we be evaluated? When Jesus Christ returns, we will be evaluated. You know, you hear people oftentimes at funerals say things like, you know, our dearly departed brother, he has gone on to his reward, or whatever. But technically, that's not accurate. You know, he has gone on, and if he knows Christ, he's in the presence of God, and that certainly is a reward to all believers. In fact, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, because that's good stuff. But as far as our reward is concerned, they haven't received their rewards yet. Those who are in the presence of God today have not received their rewards. They haven't been evaluated. They haven't been judged according to the judgment seat of Christ. The question is, when will that evaluation take place? Well, we know that the evaluation, the resurrection of the righteous, will occur when Jesus returns to this earth. We've just studied it. We've led to it. That's why we build on what we've learned so we can apply the things that we're learning now. And the bottom line is this, that Old Testament saints and tribulation saints or those who have died during the tribulation period of time will be resurrected. And when will they be resurrected? When Jesus returns to this earth following the tribulation and following Armageddon. When he comes before the millennium, they will be resurrected at that time. And at that time, they will be judged or evaluated before the judgment seat of Christ. For those of us who are in Christ... We will be evaluated at the rapture that we talked about when Jesus comes for his church and then those who are dead in Christ will be raised first, resurrected. Then we who are alive will be caught up in the air with them. And at that particular time, we will be judged. Uh, we will be evaluated. There's a period of time that's there that's seven years as far as the tribulation is concerned. And there's plenty of time for Jesus to evaluate every one of us. And the purpose of all of that is don't forget that our reward is going to determine what our responsibilities are during this thousand-year reign of Christ. Because the Bible teaches that you and I, who believe in Christ, will reign with him. We will be given responsibilities. And it's going to be based on what our performance is in this lifetime. We need to recognize and understand that. Number three, as we look at this, you will be evaluated. Who will be the one to judge us? We've talked a little bit about that, but we'll make it more clear here. We will be evaluated by Jesus Christ personally. We will be evaluated by him. Remember in John chapter 5, the whole purpose of Jesus being the judge was so that God would honor him. Philippians chapter 2, why is God honoring Jesus? Because the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. If you recall, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ, who though existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now we all have to look over there because there's a, sign on, there's a name on a sign. Oh, my whole system's getting messed up here. Okay, in John chapter 5, also Philippians chapter 2, Jesus Christ is given the honor or the privilege of being our judge because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross in our behalf. For we must all, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. You know, there's a lot of jokes in our culture about, you know, appearing at the gates of heaven. And somehow it's always St. Peter that's the one who's responsible to guard the gate of heaven. And there's a lot of jokes that have to do with, you know, who's going to judge us and does Peter evaluate us and all this kind of stuff. And so you might appreciate this story. It's not theologically accurate, but, you know, it's a story nonetheless. The guy appears and he arrives at the pearly gates. He's waiting to be admitted. St. Peter's reading through the big book to see if the guy's name is written in it. After several minutes, he closes the book, furrows his brow and says, I'm sorry, but I don't see your name written in the book. The guy standing there says, well, how current is your copy? He says, well, I get a download every 10 minutes. Why do you ask? He says, well, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I was always one of those stubborn guys. I wasn't, it wasn't until my death was imminent that I cried out to God. So my name probably hasn't arrived in your copy yet. Peter says, well, I'm glad to hear that. He says, but while we're waiting for the update to come through, can you tell me about a really good deed that you did in your life? The guy thinks for a moment and says, well, there was a day when I was driving down a road and I saw a giant group of uh, biker gang members harassing this poor girl. I slowed down and sure enough, they were there, about 20 of them, and they were torturing this poor woman. So infuriated, I pulled over, got out of my car, grabbed the tire iron out of the trunk, walked up to the leader of the gang. He was a huge guy. He was about six foot four. He was 260 pounds. He had a studded leather jacket. He had a chain running from his nose to his ears. I walked up to the leader. The bikers formed a circle around me and told me to get lost or I'd be next. So I ripped the leader's chain out of his face and I smashed him over the head with the tire iron. Then I turned around and yelled to the rest of them. I said, you leave this poor innocent girl alone. You're all a bunch of sick, deranged animals. Go home before I really teach you a lesson in pain. Peter, St. Peter goes, wow, man, I'm impressed. Uh, when did all this take place? He goes, well, about three minutes ago. <laughs> the, the, bottom line, the bottom line is this. I, 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 not, I know it's not theologically accurate, but the, the bottom line is this, that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Peter's not going to be waiting at the gate, and he's not going to be checking the book. Because if our name is written in the book of life, then we will be ushered from this life to the next and we will be ushered into the presence of God himself. For absent from the body will be present with the Lord. And it doesn't get a promise to be any greater than that one and more comforting. That the moment that we leave this world, that we will be ushered into the presence of God himself. And that's a wonderful promise for all of us who are in Christ. Jesus Christ will evaluate us personally. You think it's exciting to be evaluated by the boss or, or, or you know, you know, the uh, vice president of your division or you know, somebody that's higher up in the ladder. And wow, what an honor it is to sit down in front of them personally, face to face, and be evaluated for your performance. Can you even begin to imagine how that pales in comparison to the day that you and I as individuals will sit before or stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he will review the details of our life for the purpose of rewarding us who are faithful in this lifetime. Number four, we'll be evaluated along with every other believer. It says we all will stand before God's judgment seat. There isn't one of us who are going to get away with it. There's not one of us that are going to be able to say, well, I didn't know any better. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before, before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each one of us, Romans 14, 10 through 12 says, will give an account of himself to God. Our evaluation will be personal, and yet it will also be complete. Can you imagine some of us feel that we are not worthy, and who doesn't feel that they are not worthy to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? But on the other hand, the Bible says that each one of us, regardless of how in insignificant we feel in the presence of God himself, that we will have the privilege and the honor of standing before our Lord himself, every one of us, 
for we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Number five, we'll be evaluated on the basis of our works alone. In 1 Corinthians 3, 3, 13, we read, His work, speaking of the believer, will be shown for what it is. Because the day, anytime you see the word the day, uh, specifically refers to the day of judgment, says that the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and with the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Again, we see, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, that each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Notice this. You will be evaluated on the basis of your works alone. Listen to me carefully. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. You cannot put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then go on living a life that is not worthy of the manner in which you've been called. We will be evaluated on the basis of our works, not on the sincerity of our intentions, Not on when the kids grow up and I've got some more free time on my hands. Not if it's convenient and I won't be ridiculed by people around me. We will be evaluated on what we actually did. Stop and think about that and let it sink in. It is not on our belief. It is not on our desire to do things. It is not on our intent to do things. Our evaluation will be based on what we actually did. Belief determines destination. But our behavior, our lifestyle, our works will determine our compensation before the judgment seat of Christ. The fact that we are at the Bema seat or judgment seat of Christ is because we are in Christ. Don't misunderstand. The whole purpose of being judged by Christ is to be rewarded for the things that we've done, our works. The works of those who stand before the great white throne judgment will be what God uses to show them that they are not in Christ and that their works fell short of the glory or the standard of God for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The fact they are before the white throne judgment is because they are in that camp. The fact that you and I are in the Bema Seat judgment is because we are in Christ and we will be evaluated on the basis of our works and our works alone. We need to understand that and recognize that. So the question as we're going through this is, how are you doing so far? You will be evaluated for the works that you did following your conversion. That's important to know. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 13 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day of judgment will bring it to light. No one can lay any other foundation than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. What that means is this. For those of you who do not know Christ, have never trusted in Christ, are not in Christ, have not believed in Him, have not received Him as your Lord and Savior, and you're out there doing good stuff, God doesn't recognize any of it. Read Matthew chapter 7. But Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? We cast demons out. We did great works. We did great deeds. We did all kind of stuff in your name. And Jesus looked at him and said, Be gone, for I never knew you. 
for those who are giving money to churches, those who are going to church, those who are volunteering at shelters, those who are doing good deeds, those who are trying to help their fellow human beings. Everyone who's doing all of these things and they're doing it outside of the foundation which is laid, which is Christ himself, none of that makes any difference to God because we are all dead and judged already and condemned in our sins. You cannot work your way to heaven. It's by grace alone, through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift from God that's offered to all who will receive him. You cannot work your way into heaven. We live in a world today that's taught if you do enough good stuff, then God's going to cut your break, and then you can go to heaven when you die. If you don't do enough good stuff, then maybe he'll give you a second chance. Maybe you can come back and do it all over again. Maybe there's a do-over program or whatever it is. And the reality of all of it is this. He says, unless you've laid the foundation, which is Christ, and you've accepted and received him as your Savior... Anything that you've done outside of that doesn't make any bit of difference to God, so don't be mistaken by that. You've got to build on the foundation that was laid, and the foundation is Jesus Christ and Him alone. If any man is in Christ, the moment you receive Him, then the clock starts to tick as far as the evaluation, as far as God is concerned. You will be evaluated for the works that you did before you died. Now, some of you think, well, that makes sense. Isn't that logical? Well, wait a minute. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Now you say, well, that makes sense. I mean, they, we would be judged on what we did while we were alive. But you know what's amazing is that there's so much nonsense today, we have to clarify certain things. It is appointed for a man to die once, and then comes judgment. There are no do-overs. There are, is no reincarnation. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We need to understand that and recognize it. You don't get another chance to come back and do it all over again. It's appointed for a man to die once, then you will be judged. If you reject Christ, you will be judged and you will be cast into hell forever. If you accept Christ, you will be judged on the basis of what you did from the moment that you were judged for the purpose of rewards. You will be evaluated for the works that you did before you died. Now here is some nonsense that's in our culture today, and I want you to understand it so you don't fall victim to it, and that's this. There is a thought process out there today that says this. It's called Christian estate planning. Now, I believe in planning, and I believe in planning and, and estate planning, and I believe in, in leaving things for our, our uh, children, our grandchildren, that it's honorable to do so. Uh, but I also want you to understand something about Christian estate planning. There are those who are out there that are telling you, hey, look, you use everything that you want while you're still here, and after you die, you can leave it to us. And somehow God will honor you for that. Duh. Why would God honor us for not using stuff after we're dead that we can't use? Think about it for a second. Now some of you scratch your head like, huh? Listen to me. God will honor us for the sacrifices that we've made while we're still alive. When you're done and you're dead and you're from this life to the next life, you don't need any of this stuff. You think God's not sharp enough to know that? Give me a break. Some of us are thinking, hey, I'm going to use it all, and I'm going to use it and do the things I want to do, and I'm going to have a good time, and I'm going to live a life of pleasure, and then when I'm gone, I'll leave it all to God, and he can do whatever he wants with it. And somehow God will honor that? No. He says he's going to evaluate us based on what we did while we were alive. Not after you're dead. Simple, but so profound. Number eight. We're getting down to the wire. Here we go. Two more to go. You'll be rewarded on the basis of your valuation. This is probably the best news of this particular session, and that's this. God will reward you and I based on what we've done. For the Son of Man is coming in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person individually according to what he has done. Matthew 16, 27. 
You know what I like about that? That means that God will take note of what you and I do as individuals. Isn't it nice to know that our evaluation before Christ isn't a group thing? Now, if you're not holding your end of the curve up, you probably want to be with a group. You know, it's like these group projects in school now. I hate them. I hate them. And you know why? Because they're stupid. That's why. Why? Because who ends up doing all the work? The ones that always do all the work. And the popular ones and the people that you just want to be like friends with, they all say, hey, if you do my share, then I'll like you for this project. But after that, see you later. This group think, man, is nuts. And it violates our individual accountability as well. Yeah, it's nice to learn how to get along with other people because we certainly all have to do that in the workplace. We all need to learn how to get along with each other, be a team, to pull together, to accomplish goals, etc. But you know what? I don't want evaluated based on the fact that you're not doing anything. Right? It's like if you've ever been a commissioned salesman, you know exactly what it's like. Man, it's great. If you work hard, guess what? You're rewarded. I like that. Don't you think that God doesn't also understand that? Notice what he says. The worker deserves his wages. 1 Timothy 5. He who works his land will have an abundance. Proverbs 12, 11. Diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 10, 4. The de- desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Proverbs 13, 4. All hard work brings a profit. Proverbs 14, 23. God says your work on his behalf will be repaid. And I'm just so glad that it's not a group thing. Now some of us need to get on the ball and realize that right now you're not going to have a great day on that evaluation day. Let's just tell it the way it is. Because you have been selfish. You have been doing what you want to do when you want to do it. You haven't considered God or the things of God. You haven't considered the gifts that he has given you to go out and glorify him and the use of those gifts. You haven't done anything but sit and and warm up a chair for a long time. You've waited until it's become more convenient and more comfortable, and it hasn't yet, and it won't. There is nothing easy about service to our Lord during this lifetime. But he also recognizes and understands that, and he rewards us accordingly. There's nothing easy about guys who come to lead worship to get up every morning on a Sunday and have their wives have to get their kids ready so they can come and worship the Lord and minister to us in their service. There's nothing easy about serving God. And sometimes we become bitter and upset and we resent the fact that there is a lot of work involved in it. There's nothing easy about preparing every week to be here so that I feel that you haven't wasted your time and you feel the same and that you've learned something from the Word of God, you've been challenged, and you can go out and apply the things that you've learned. There's nothing easy about that. It's a sacrifice that we all have to make. Serving others and serving the Lord is a sacrifice that we have to make because we decide to make it. And many of us choose not to make any sacrifices whatsoever. And as a result, the judgment seat of Christ will not be a fun day for a lot of us. Understand the truth of the Word of God. And then live accordingly. The individual rewards I've already mentioned. Proverbs 24, 12 says, But you say, but we knew nothing about this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? See, we want to be ignorant. So we can stand before Christ one day and say, But Lord, I never heard any of that. Too bad for all of you. Because you just heard. (laughs) That uncomfortable laughter. 
But it doesn't matter because whether you heard it here and whether you ever heard it anywhere does not change the truth of the Word of God because each of us are responsible to dig into the Word of God and to learn the truths of God. Otherwise, we'd all be running to churches that don't teach the truth of the Word of God and then stand before Christ one day and plead ignorance because we never heard anything taught out of the Bible. Guess what? You do it to your own detriment. If you do not hold the person accountable that supposedly is teaching you and preaching from the Word of God, then you are equally, equally guilty before God. We need to make sure that the pulpit is a pulpit of high standard, that it always presents the truth of the Word of God. And when God's Word is open and it's taught, lives are changed and truth is emitted from the Word of God and the Word of God alone. If you fall into the, the, the temptation that's out there today just to go and hear stuff that makes you feel good, it's to your own detriment. If you need to be healed because you're not healthy, then you go to a doctor and you hear a diagnosis that you don't want to hear, but you know what? It may save your life. To go and have somebody say, hey, you look fine to me, when you're really dying of something that needs to be treated, is just ignorance on our part because we don't want to deal with the truth. So I'm going to challenge you. Deal with the truth because the truth will set you free and the truth will change your life. And the truth as it goes forth will never come back empty, but it will always produce results. That's the wonderful thing about teaching and being committed to teach the Word of God. We'll close on this. Number one, don't ever forget this. Belief determines destination. It's what we believe about Jesus Christ that will determine where we spend eternity. Belief determines destination. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, then the Bible says that you will spend an eternity in the presence of God. If you reject Jesus Christ, you will spend an eternity away from God in a place that he created for the devil and his demons, and he never wanted any human being ever to occupy it, but he's given us the freedom to choose in a place that's called hell or the lake of fire. We'll talk more about that in the next couple of sessions. But behavior determines our compensation. How you live your life will determine what kind of day you're going to have the day that you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I like this quote from Daniel Webster. It's, very, it's impacting, and I hope you look at it, and I hope you heed it for what he says, but that's this. The most important thought I ever had was that of my individual responsibility to God. Wow. The most important thought that I ever had was that of my individual responsibility to God. It is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that he can reward us according to the things that we did in this flesh. Subsequent to coming to know Christ, he will reward us for what we've done. And that's an exciting truth, and we need to understand it. And it's the judgment seat of Christ that the Bible so clearly discusses and talks about. Now the question for you is this, and here's where we really have a problem, and that is on what basis will we be evaluated? On what basis can we earn God's rewards? Next week, we're going to take a look at that because I think many of us will be surprised. I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible that God will reward us for going to church. I can't find anywhere in the Bible God will reward us for reading through the Bible in a year. Now, there may be benefits to those things, but as far as the rewards of God, God is very specific about the types of things that you and I need to be doing that will get us into the presence of Christ and we will be rewarded for those things that we do in this lifetime. Listen to me and listen to me good. You and I are individually accountable to God. If you know Christ, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and you will give an account for the things that you've done in this lifetime after putting your faith and trust in Him. It does make a difference how we live our lives as Christians. 
Father, thank you for your word. We just thank you for the truth, as harsh and hard as it can be sometimes. It's only because you love us, and that is the standard by which you measure all of, all of our performance in this life, and you measure our hearts as far as our belief or lack of belief in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we just thank you that you have caused us to think. We thank you that your word is very clear. We just thank you that as believers we will never appear before the great white throne judgment, that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ, that we will never be condemned or judged for sin, that Jesus appeared to take it away, the past, the present, and the future, and we just praise him and we thank him for that. But Lord, also it's somber to realize that, you know what, you are going to evaluate us for what we've done subsequent to our putting our faith and trust in you. And the question that really burns into each of our hearts is how will we stand before you that day and how will that evaluation or judgment go for us? And God, we just thank you that you give us information in your word, that you give us the things that we need so that we can begin to act upon it today. And Lord, we just thank you that you give us that chance, that you give us that opportunity, that you give us the strength to do it, and that you've given us the spirit of God within us who leads us into all truth. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.